Hi, I'm Jen Drummond. Welcome to Seek Your Summit. As a mom, a business owner, and the first female to climb the seven second summits, I realize that the mountains we climb are a part of our success. And it is up to us to go beyond that success into a life of significance. Listen in as I share personal stories and interview others who have led a life of both success and significance, and now they are paying it forward. Hi, friends. Today, we have Hirsch Rapoon on the podcast. He was referred to me by another guest and has a great story to share. A father of five has had stints in stand-up comedy. He helps you with your message. He calls himself the message therapist. And he has a website, getmessagetherapy.com, and helps you share your authentic self with the world. You need to know yourself before you have a personal brand. And he has a book coming out called Selling the Truth that should hopefully enter bookshelves in 2024. We talk a little bit about that, a little bit about his family being his guiding value and all things he makes decisions around and how to add humor to humanity. So enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening. Today, we have Hirsch Rapoon on the podcast. I am so excited. Hirsch, thanks for being here today. It's great to be here with you, Jen. Ah, it's so fun. How did we meet? Someone introduced us. Yes, I, I believe that uh, Steve Ramona introduced yes. us. Yes. Yes. Yes, he's an, a he remarkable phenomenal. human. Yes. Yes. I love him. Okay. What I loved about your intro that he gave me was, well, he was a comedian and yeah. I recently have been working on a speech, right? Because I'm hired to give speeches and it is hard to get humor into some of those speeches. Cause I don't want the speech just to be this heavy story that leaves without emotion. You kind of want to poke some fun along the way to bring people on that journey. Humor's hard. Yeah. Well, I I think that that one of the one of the uh, devices that that I use is that it's a balance. You know, the the heavy stuff needs humor to make it digestible to lighten it up. Yeah. But if something is pretty commonplace or pretty straightforward, there isn't really an, a need for a joke because it doesn't it doesn't work as a counterweight. And so, contrary to what people might think, coming off of something that's a very serious statement might benefit from using a little humor yeah. because it's a counterbalance. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. In fact, we're thinking of hiring somebody to review it and see if there's any way they can poke a little piece of humility in there, here or there or whatever, just to not leave you so heavy. Yeah. Well, that that's a lot of what I do. Okay. is working with people to uh, to ultimately build trust with their audience. I mean, that's the the end result, is you want the audience to, to have faith in what you're saying, find you credible, be engaged, you know, also entertained. Right. But the humor is a device. The humor isn't just for its own sake. Right. You know, right. unless you're doing stand-up comedy. When you're doing stand-up comedy, the goal is to give the audience a break, let them relax, let them release tension, laugh, and then you know it it worked. But when you're giving a when you're giving a speech, it's a little different because it's it's catering to that audience. You're wanting to to impart something and teach them something and share something. So the humor takes a very different uh, position. Yeah, and it just helps you with cadence. 
right? Like just the cadence mm -hmm. of the speech and bringing them in and out. I didn't realize once I got into speech writing, how much it is, is like writing a song. You want to bring them yeah. in, you want to bring them down, you want to bring them up, you want to like, you want to leave them on a good note. You want to, it's just, it's been an interesting journey to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and a speech yeah. is a journey. Yes. Speech is a is story, you know? Um, so it is like comedy in that way and that you have a set list. I'm writing, I'm writing some talks now and I'm using my old methodology of set lists okay. where, you know, you don't necessarily write out every single word. You write the, the, the title of the story or the section yep. and you know it hopefully well enough. And it's so much a part of you that you can see how they fit together and you can kind of weave the story together. But the goal is to get away from things that are too, you know, in comedy anyway, too carefully written. And so I'm trying that out with my own speech writing to see if that, if it works, if it works for me. Right. To do a kind of script, semi-scripted, semi-scripted speech. Right. And you give a keynote on a topic that's called before you brand yourself, find yourself. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about that one. Yeah, that's, that, that is kind of like a lot of us comes from a personal journey, from my own journey to, to kind of find myself. I think one of the things that has happened, it, it started before COVID, but I felt like a lot of the work that I was doing in, in branding, marketing, advertising, wasn't, I wasn't really growing with it, with it at all. And I, I couldn't figure out why I was a little bit like lack, lacking in, in gratification. I realized, well, because beyond what I do for the, the brand or the client, it's nice to feel like it gave something to me personally or that I right. extracted something from it. And so, uh, so I started doing things that, that led me in that direction, whether it was forming the kosher brand, which is a streetwear brand that's uh, purpose-driven and dedicated to uh, uh, equity, inclusion, and kindness that I started with a, with a, a partner of mine, uh, uh, Isaac Fadlon. And, you know, so it was either that where you feel like you're giving something back, or it was doing everything from peak performance courses to, uh, to meditating and a lot of introspection. And all of that stuff led me to discover a new way of working with clients to help them build that trust. And it was putting more on them in a way where I was like, I'm not just a writer for hire who's going to write based on your point of view. I'm going to show you how to talk to you about yourself and write some of these things, so to speak, yourself, like learn your own your own uh, brand love language, you know, learn, learn what your language is. And then I thought, okay, well, in order to brand myself as a message therapist, which is what I, what I now, how I would refer to myself because okay. of that kind of human element, you know, I look at it as message therapy. I'm sitting there, I'm talking with them about their lives and about why they started their company. And it's just my, my way that I have with them or that I approach it. And, and I thought, well, that came from introspection and, and, and knowing, knowing some things about myself that I hadn't really worked through. And so before you can really brand yourself, you have to know this, this thing that is your brand, mm -hmm. you know, it could be a personal brand. It could be a potato chip brand. doesn't really matter. 
It's like you have to know what you are, what you stand for, what's important to you, what are those, what are those real core values, and then you can worry about the external presentation. You know, you, you want to build your brand from the inside out. So that's where that came from. No, I like it. I, you know, I'm building my personal brand right now. And I find one of the things I struggle with is how do you know what to share? So it's just not noise, right? Like how is this adding value or is it adding value or is it just being distracting? Because as, I don't know, I feel like as a potato chip brand, you have more of a, okay, I'm a salt, sweet, sweet snack. <laughs> when like Jen yeah. Drummond, I mean, depending on the day, there's like 40 of me inside this body, right? And it just depends on who you yeah. get. Sometimes I'm salty. Sometimes I'm sweet. Sometimes I'm encouraging. And sometimes I just want to scream. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that is it. You know, that is the, the brand. You know, the brand is, is really honesty, genuineness, you know, an ability to articulate, though, what you're feeling. A lot of people are feeling what they're feeling. They can't necessarily articulate it. And it. I think that rather than say, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing or have the wrong message. It's, you know, think about your audience and what they need. That's obviously the first mm -hmm. thing. Like once you figure out, oh, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, let's say my, my thing is, is helping people understand themselves well enough that they can talk about themselves then the, everything I put out there has to benefit that in some way. Mm -hmm. So if, I, if it's funny, I used to do like as a comedian, I would do these funny videos and I did them during COVID. And the, and the fun of it was, it was survival. You know, it was like I was walking my dog trying to be funny and do characters and stuff so that people could laugh during a really tough time. But that was really clear. My mission was anything that, made them able to laugh at our situation that we were going through, that was good. That right. was good. Now, when I post stuff, even though sometimes it's funny, I'm like, okay, well, if it's funny, it still has to speak to the idea of being true to yourself, being honest with yourself, understanding yourself, finding yourself, and then branding yourself. So, it doesn't matter what I'm, you know, if I'm, I'm not going to have, you know, my daughter's, uh, you know, birthday party on there because it, that does, that's not, that's not the point. That isn't going to help anybody, any of my audience, you know, just right. seeing me being, being a dad at a birthday party isn't going to really, isn't going to really help. And so I don't share that stuff or, you know, you know, push, push that out. Okay. You know, what I try to push out are things that are, relevant to the audience. So the more you think about them, the better off I think you you are and the more it solves some of those problems. No, that makes sense. It's just like, I think sometimes we forget or we get mixed in with being a thought leader and being an influencer, right? Because I think, uh, of, <laughs> right? So a thought leader is like helping somebody with the honesty topic. Or for me, it's more resilience right? How do you keep going yeah. after the thing that you desire when everything wants to get in its way? And just staying into that vein versus going through all the different pieces. And I do mix some of my stuff in behind the scenes, I guess, but who knows? I'm yeah, working but, on it. But, but if, it feels, if it feels right and it feels like the message is not getting diluted, it's getting reinforced, because it's going to be one or the yeah. other. 
It's either going to dilute the message or reinforce it, you know? And, and I think the thought leadership thing is, is, it's always strange to me because I feel like we can't really, we can do our best to lead and we can do our best to share what we've learned, but I don't, I don't think it's up to me to say I'm a thought leader. I think someone else might say, oh, Hirsch is a thought leader in the area of blank. But I don't think I would ever say it in my own uh, PR. A thought leader in the, you know, I, that would feel strange to me. But because that's a lot to try to aspire to even. No, I know. I know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like I just, I'm like, hey, listen, my things have happened because I've had a resilient mindset. And when stuff happens to me, I reframe it as happening for me. And it doesn't always yeah. feel like that in the moment, but I know based on my past that it has worked out to my advantage. It just hasn't maybe been long enough on some of the things yet, right? So, yeah. right. And it's just learning how to get through those. But you seemed yeah. like comedy helped open the door for you on a lot of things, yeah. it feels like. So how did you get yeah. into comedy and how did that help do the shift? Well, I started, I mean, I always had, I was always the, the, the little kid performing, telling jokes, you know, probably past, like past my, up past my bedtime and like copying comedians that I saw on the Tonight Show or whatever it might be. And I loved the idea of telling jokes. I didn't think beyond that. Um, when I was in school, I went to School of Visual Arts in New York and I was studying filmmaking, advertising, stuff like that. But, you know, there were all the clubs and I would, they didn't have open mics at, at that time. They were just, you would just go to a, a club like Stand Up New York or Comic Strip or whatever, and you would just wait until you had a chance to go on. And if you had a contact or someone who could, you know, represent you in some way, I had a friend who, who knew some people. And so he got the manager to say, yeah, you come to the comic strip. And it was like one in the morning, come, come down and you can do five minutes. And I went down there. This was really the first time that I did stand up in a club and Eddie Murphy walked in and did a ah. drop in and, you know, killed for like 45 minutes. And, right. you know, and then he, and then he, he leaves and it's like, I, and I had a choice to make Would I, would I go on anyway, knowing nobody's really paying attention or not go. And I went on and I did five mediocre minutes. Yeah, I did. It wasn't even, I, at that time, I didn't even understand the value of writing and, and putting those being prepared. I just yeah. thought I would riff. And right. so I don't think I would have done great regardless, but it was my first thing. And then I would go to all the, all the, all the clubs and hang out and get my chance to go on and develop material. And, um, it just felt very natural to me, okay. but the idea of going on the road, I had my first son was born in in 92. And so that was around when I was approached by an agent about going on the road and doing a college circuit. And if I wanted to succeed as a comedian, I should have done it, but I didn't. So in retrospect, I just look at it like that's not what I wanted. You know, yeah. that wasn't, you know, I went into advertising and we always nagged at me. I always felt like I should go back to comedy. And then in 2011, I did. Then I, uh, nice. my, my, a few friends of mine and I was started hitting open mics. I was living in LA by that point. 
we hit open mics. We started going five times a week. It was kind of crazy. It was like a ridiculous obsession. Our wives thought we were nuts and we were. And <laughs> we started doing all kinds of stuff, videos, shows, but I got really good at it. And I felt like, okay, now I can go to a comedy club and enjoy it and not feel like I should be up there doing it because I did it. You know, I went and did, and did it. Um, I joked that I achieved the highest uh, levels of, of stand-up comedy. I, I achieved everything in stand-up comedy that one could achieve short of making a living. And, uh, you know, that's the only, that was the only thing. But to do that again, go on the road, go do that. You know, it's not a glamorous life, stand-up comedy. Right. You know, um, but it, but it's, it can be really rewarding. So I'm, I am thrilled that I experienced it. Now I integrate my, like we started talking about at the beginning. Now I integrate my, my sense of humor into the talks that I give because that's really what the journey was. That was the knowing myself part. Cause I used to do accents, characters, impressions, all kinds of things. And Something about it felt a little weird, even in the stand-up realm, because I didn't feel like I was an impressionist or a dialectician, but I, I would use them in my stories. And then now I feel like I don't, like now I'm actually talking to the people, to the audience. I don't need that that cover, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't need that cover in front of my persona to uh, to to get to get myself across. And do you feel like just practice on stage through comedy helped you realize, like, I don't need to have an avatar to step into. I can just be my authentic self and meet people where they are. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of comics, uh, you know, spend a lot of time trying to even stand ups, try to create an avatar for themselves to step into. And in some cases it works. In other cases, they feel out of place and they're doing what I used to do, which is to hide. And, I think that it's the best comedy is when they're when you're not hiding because we we have to hide a lot in life. And I think, uh, you know, the healthiest thing is to get out in front of that and for a few minutes not have to hide. Yeah, not the truth. And just <laughs> yeah, yeah, just be <laughs> I think just be. It's harder. It's harder than people think. Being is harder than doing. For a personality like yes. mine, I can do all day long, but you want me to be, and I'm like, ah! Yeah, you don't like to sit still. You don't like to... Uh, yeah, I don't. I like to have things yeah. on my agenda, and I I just set this world record, and everybody keeps asking me, what's next? What's next? And I said, listen, I'm making myself do nothing next for an entire year, and it's been harder than climbing those mountains. Like a hundred percent harder. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Learning. And I have a friend. I have a friend who's a mountain climber also, and uh, and he and it, for him it's the, it's literally that that next step. What is that next step? And he's gone back and climbed the same mountains over and over again twenty years later. And it's uh, you know, but I think the idea is one thing that he's realized is that it's the experience, yeah. not the not the uh, not necessarily the record, right? Yeah. Um, for you, what was what, what's 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 the most gratifying thing to you? 
You know, I think the connections to people throughout the world and being able to elevate people in other cultures and other parts and be a part of their story because climbing is a universal pursuit and Mm -hmm. it's not something you can buy your way to the top. So everybody has to earn, earn their stripes and you can do the same thing and not even speak the same language and still have an understanding of one another. So yeah. It's funny because when we when I work on my speeches, it's never the mountain, right? It's the stories in between the summits that are really the stories that are what I share. I mean, it's like, okay, I climbed yeah. the mountain. Like that's not the story. The story is what happened is how I got here or what happened to my teammate and what did I decide to do in that circumstance and how like we're writing our story every day. So the choices I'm making are giving me a narrative that I need to live with. And is that a narrative I'm proud of? Yeah. So sometimes that meant I turned around on mountains without the summit because I wanted to be a teammate versus a summiteer. And then I'd go back and get the mountain another time. So it's just been a very unique journey of finding out where your edges are and then finding out how to make them even farther out than what they were before. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's funny because now I feel like I started interviewing you, but but I, know, I, but I was <laughs> no, that's my that I did that, but that was but I was genu- I was genuinely curious about that because it is ultimately about our figuring out the the motivation for you know the figurative and literal mountains we want to climb. You know, we're trying to we're taking on stuff in a world where things are are so chaotic and so, uh, you know, often devastating. And sometimes, uh, you know, there's miraculous things that happen, but it's, it's like, you know, it's a world where we have to be intentional about what we're doing. There isn't a lot of like room to just waste time or mess around. You know, that's, that's how I feel. Oh, I agree. A hundred percent. And got into a car accident. And I think that opened that idea up. I'm like, oh man, this thing isn't forever. I could die like tomorrow, next year, today. What am I doing? What have I not done? What do I want to experience? How do I take this pressure off of performance and just have the experience of doing? So, right. Right. Do you have five kids? I have seven. No one has five children or seven children. (laughs) Seven. Wow. So you have me beat. I don't meet a lot of people who have me beat. That's pretty impressive. It is. It's crazy. And they're your most successful experiment so far is what you said. So tell us a little bit more about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I have been a father for almost 32 years, okay. let's say. So, you know, it's definitely been something that I have learned a lot from. And the reason I, I say it was my most successful experiment. I don't know if your question was about an experiment or what was your what was your question? The question was more about like share a major success or achievement in your life career. And okay. your kids we were kind of like your biz- biggest success. Yes, yes, that's for sure. So, I think that that the through line of of my life since that moment that my oldest son was born was that everything was connected to to kids and family so that any success had to be measured by what did it what did it bring to that experience i learned that from my parents because my Ooh, I love my that. dad yeah my my dad was an attorney and 
He always maintained a private practice so that he could be with his family, do uh, do what he wanted, set his own schedule, not be told by a, a company or a boss, um, you know, what to do. And he could have done a lot of things professionally. Like he had, he got an opportunity to be on the you know Supreme Court of, of Florida and have other appointments and things like that. But he would have had to be in Tallahassee for half the week and we lived it for the week and we lived in Miami. And he would just turn down things like that, partnerships with big firms, things like that he would turn down. And so I realized that his measure of success was how happy his family unit was. And was he there to provide the support that we needed as kids? And my mom as well. My mom worked very hard as a medical assistant in uh, in a um, in a couple of medical practices, and that you know paid for our education and stuff like that. And but they were but they were there, and mm-hmm. they were uh, and they were concerned with with our our development. And so that's what even with you know life's crazy twists and turns and all of this other stuff, it feels like, you know, that is the thing that, that was most important to me. Like that thing about me not going on the road at the time, I just, I I thought, you know, well, advertising business is more stable. I was Sabbath observant at that time. So the idea of, of going on the road and working on the Sabbath was something that I felt was, was like more, honestly, I was afraid. I didn't want to disappoint my family. I, you know, there were things tied, but in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, no, that makes sense. That's consistent with how I've lived my life in the last 30 years since. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, because that was a long, long time ago. And so I was like, yeah, okay. So I've made decisions that I feel will help my family grow, even when they're risky, like, like doing the stand-up comedy. So you could say, oh, well, you know, you lost business during that time, which we turned down business during that time. And no, was it for my kids? Did I go up in front of my kids? I wasn't doing birthday parties. I was doing stand-up, you know? But my older kids did come to the shows. My oldest son did end up doing stand-up. And, you know, as someone who might be considered shy, you know, but you wouldn't necessarily imagine him getting up and having the nerve to do stand-up, but he did and did a couple of shows with me. And what they, what they hopefully gleaned from that was that you don't need to be afraid to do something that you love, Mm -hmm. you know, that's healthy for you, that's fulfilling for you, and it's going to make you a better you. And so those choices were hopefully lessons to them. You know, mm-hmm. um, I also got a DUI at one point and I did a, uh, a bit about getting the DUI in my standup because I felt like I have to kind of go on record as copping to this mistake. If it's too big a mistake, it's too serious a mistake to not, um, you know, tell your kids about it. Right. Because you're embarrassed. Right. Because you're ashamed. Because what if they're drinking and they make the same mistake and God forbid it doesn't work out as it did for me where no one got hurt. It was just material damage to my car. But it was, you know, but it was it was worth sharing with them. 
Right. And, um, you know, and so, and, and it doesn't end. It's like, you know, the, the parenting part, no matter how amazing they are, my kids are, are I, I'm very, you know, blessed in terms of their, you know, their realization as human beings but it's not without struggle. They're all struggling. My daughter, my oldest daughter is in Israel, lives in Israel. Oh, wow. And, you know, her husband was just called up to the, you know, reserves in the wake of this Hamas attack. And that's, you know, you know, a, a kind of a, an, uh, you know, that, that tr- you know, tops anything that anybody would, you know, that's like an all-consuming thing right now. Mm-hmm. And, but the you know, maturity and fortitude and, and commitment that my, that my daughter has, has been demonstrating is awe-inspiring. And, you know, that's what I mean when I say, well, the kids are really the most success that I could point to. Yeah. Because they all have stories like that of doing things that, that require, uh, you know, uh, character and fortitude and integrity. And, and that's it. Like in the end, what are we gonna what are we gonna have if not our humanity? Right. You know, why I always pair humor and humanity in, in when I'm talking about the work that I do, because I feel like you can't have one without the other. Just like we were saying about your speech. You don't think about it as peppering your your speech with humor. Think about it as including uh, a balance of humor and humanity in your address because that's what life is Mm -hmm. life life the tagline you remember the movie um nothing in common with tom hanks and and uh jackie gleason okay was uh was directed by gary marshall and it was about a son that had never been estranged from his dad and his dad gets is getting divorced and is ill and you know it's this it's but it was obviously with jackie gleason and and tom hanks you know, it had a lot of humor, but the tagline was, it's a comedy and a drama, just like life. And ah. that resonated with me, even though I was, you know, like a young teenager at the time. But I was like, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Life is a comedy and a drama. And a tragedy and a horror story yeah. and a love story yes. and all of it, right? Like right. all those pieces. Yes. Um, yes. No, I like it. I like how you've used your family as your compass and as you're like, okay, this is where I want to measure success against. And so the decisions yeah. I'm making is that putting me into building a su- successful family. And I think yeah. it's hard to have, you can only worship one thing, right? So if you're going to worship your right. family, which is amazing, then all your decisions go around that that piece. And that's what formulates the life that you live. Um, how do you always stay honest with yourself with what's going on because i think it's natural for us to protect ourselves from honesty when it hurts yes i think it's that's part of my more recent journey okay because i think intellectually we want a lot of things right we we have a lot of uh, you know things that we're that we've reconciled and we're like okay i have to do this or i have to do that but that's intellectual. I think what I've started to do that has helped me face the things that are that we don't want to face, and it could be small, you know, it could be procrastinating, right? 
It could be, it could be something that we're supposed to do, somebody we're supposed to call. I struggle with that. I struggle with, you know, when there's, when there is tragedy and you have to call somebody and you know that, you know, it's, you just are so sad and, and, you know, so there are things you struggle with on a daily basis that are, that are real and we have to confront. But the idea that we're not supposed to feel good all the time, the idea that, that some degree of depression and some sadness, you know, it's, uh, I, I mean, I don't know when this will air, but it's World Mental Health Day today, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's the, the realization that a lot of the answers that we get are not the ones we want is something that is is liberating in the sense that I'll give you a very commonplace, you know, example, which is that, you know, I live in the Midwest, winter's coming. I grew up in Miami. I hate the winter. Okay. So now every year for the past eight years that I lived here, I've bitched and moaned about the fact that it's winter and talked about my seasonal affective disorder, probably ad nauseum. And this year, having been doing a lot of meditating, having you know, taking that stuff to another level and been more mindful and reflective. I'm like, you know, okay, it's coming. This is what this winter, you know, we don't even know with climate change, what, what the winter will bring, how fierce, what craziness. It's Mm -hmm. like a cartoon already. We don't know what it'll be. And I'm like, okay, well, that's what it is. That's not a reflection on, it's not a failure because I haven't figured out where, where we're going to go next when our daughter gets out of high school and what are we going to do? You know, it's just, it is. There's all these blessings around. There's all this other stuff that isn't blessings that we're not happy about. But this winter, I'm not going to spend that energy that I spent the last several winters bitching about it. <laughs> That's, That's a challenge. You're going to let it's me know how challenge. that goes. That's not easy. But Jen, I, I'm leaning into that. I like it. Feeling like, okay, I'm just, that's I'm not something I'm going to, you know, uh, and it's little, but think about like every day for, for the winter, you know, to have in my head this resentment and anger about being exposed, be, having to be in it. And yeah, if you grew up in Miami and then lived 20 years in LA, you're probably not going to adjust to cold weather with open arms. You know, you're not going to be like loving it. Right. But that's just an aspect. It's an aspect of my of my life that I'm currently choosing to to keep in place because of all the other benefits, family, uh, you know, convenience, quiet, you know, kind of calm, relative calm, all that stuff. So, you know, you got to take the good with the bad and then put all your energy into all the good stuff you can do. And you'll be pretty busy. Yeah. If you focus on that. Because, you know, what are you putting your energy into right now? That's good in your life. Right now, I think what I call positronics is a very big, I didn't make up the word, a client of mine used the word and I've just been repeating it for, you know, 15 years. But, but honestly, I think what I'm, what I'm putting it into is, uh, is, you know, I'm, I'm writing this book that's very important to me. We talked about it a little before the show. It's called Selling the Truth. And the 
what I think that will represent, hopefully, is a new way to reinterpret or redefine truth in a post-truth world, which sounds very serious, but like we've been talking about, it's, you know, it's, it's mostly uh, about business and it's about branding, but it's, it's hopefully a recipe for happiness in some ways, because I think we have to find a truth that we can rely on, but that doesn't make us feel terrible. And so we have to going forward, because the bottom line is if you as a brand, you, you, you want the, the audience to trust you, you have to be honest, right? So that's just a given. Mm-hmm. But then what is honest, right? What's reality? What's fact? And so I think that's what I'm doing right now that means the most to me is, you know, I'm not writing a book to write a book. I'm not, you know, I'm a writer by, by career definition. So to me, the idea of finally writing a book was a big deal. Oh, for sure. And um, yeah, so, you know, and, and I think if I do a really, really good job and I feel like I've really approached this topic in a way that's helpful uh, and, and gives the audience a new way to look at, at, at selling the truth, then, uh, then I'll feel like I really made a contribution. Okay. Can you give us a glimpse of like any stories within the story to tease us a little bit? Yeah. What, what's a good story that's in there? Well, the comedy story is in there, so it's in there in a little bit different detail, but how we came to, to do comedy and what happened during that time is in there. And that's, and that's fun, you know, and in there is a story that I can share, which I, I don't know. I don't know what the conclusion is. I'll, I'll say right up front, like it's, it doesn't have like a, t- it does in the book, but offhand, it, it, the tidy ending part, I don't know that I can deliver. But there was one night where we were doing stand-up comedy and we would, we would do shows like until the, until the club closes. So let's say the club closed at, 11, at, at one in the morning but you still have this energy. You want to keep doing comedy. Right. 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 You want to keep performing. You want to keep going. You want to keep that high. And so one of my friends says, Oh, there's a bar in Calabasas, uh, you know, in the Valley. We're in, uh, we were in the Valley already in Burbank. And he's like, there's this bar. I think it was Calabasas or thousand Oaks or something. It was, was far out there. And he goes, let's go. And a bunch of us comics, you know, pile into this car and we go to this bar and, um, it's big. It's a big bar, but it's like skinhead night oh, nice. there <laughs> at this bar. It's like it's like Nazi night, and we walk in and it's packed. It's not like there's a couple of people with swastika tattoos. There's like there's a lot, but there's something about the fact that it's an establishment that's like looks like looks like a Chuck E. Cheese or something. It doesn't look like a like a like a, like a bar where people are going to get beat up. Okay. And, but they're, they have in the middle of the room set up this microphone and there's a, a guy there trying to do stand up. and bar shows are like, bar shows suck anyway, because nobody, those people aren't there for the comedy. Right. They're there for the booze of which they're having plenty. They're there for, they're there for, you know, their friends. So we go, we go in, we, we sign up right away, not thinking, not even before we see the, you know, the swastika, we, we sign up. And 
and we're starting trying to figure out should we go should I, should we stay or should we go like you know some of us are jewish some of us are not we're a pretty diverse crowd so maybe that's not even the best thing there's black guys there's black girls there's there's you know straight gay everything we're in it, we're like a little uh, you know a bunch of freaks the comedy freaks and um and then they call my name and they say hirsch you know next up is hirsch now the guy who had gone before me Nobody was really paying attention to him except to maybe shout a couple of things at him that seemed a little bit antagonistic. I don't know why. So I wasn't feeling particularly confident going going up. But I guess the lesson was that there are these certain moments that kind of define how you're going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that was the lesson. Yep. was like, how are you going to be in the world? Something like this may come up that is where you have to act or you have to do something. What are you going to do? Right. And I go up and there's one particular Nazi (laughs) in the audience that is kind of like, like shouting, like shouting stuff at people like heckling. He's a heckler. Okay. But you know, when a heckler and he had a swastika on his forehead, when, it, when a heckler has a swastika on their forehead, you kind of rethink your banter about how you might respond to a heckler. And he had this big giant guy next to him who had a, a swastika on his arm. So he was more of a typical, typical, you know, Nazi. And, uh, and I, I was thinking like, what should I start with? And as I said, I used to do a lot of voices and impressions and for some reason, I thought the only way I can get these, I have to go big. I'm not a big guy. I'm a little guy. There's a lot of tension that's building up now. Now people have seen my friends. Now there's this diverse group of people that are very visible because we're the people who are taking the microphone. And all I could think to do was I had one bit that I had done, but not that often, that was called Three Rules of Israeli Comedy. And I, I grabbed the mic and I said, there's three rules from Israeli comedy. Rule number one is it's shut the fuck up time. And people are kind of stunned and quiet. I said, rule number two, if you're not listening to rule number one, you're gonna be very sorry. And I, and I said, rule number three, you don't even want to know who the number three, and then and then and then people are kind of laughing, but some people are kind of weirded out. It's a little bit quiet, and I didn't know what I was going to do from that point. And I swear to you, this little this little Nazi starts laughing. He just starts laughing, and he just says, "Oh my god!" And he walks up in the middle of my set and he puts his arm around me and he goes, I love this guy. <laughs> now, okay. He's drunk. He's drunk. And his, and his, and his friend, oh, and what had happened also was while I was doing that, you know, you have to kind of, in a room like that, everything's lit. There's no, there's no dark audience outside there. And so I did have to kind of look around the room and I looked at the big guy and the sense I got from the big guy was that he didn't have this energy, this this violent energy coming out of him. And I can't explain it, but I was like, okay, he's looking at me, he's making eye contact with me. He's not 
he's not threatening me in any way. The little guy, I'm scared to even look at because he's said stuff at people and he's scared, you know, people. And he, you know, I, I, you know, so when he came out and, and did that thing and put his arm around me and, uh, and gave me his, his beer and, uh, and I drank his beer because at that point, you know, you know, it's not, yeah. again, you know, logic dictates you're, 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 you're doing well. Don't, don't, don't tell him now, uh, Hey, uh, Nazi, I don't want your beer now. Yeah. So I took the beer. I smiled. I laughed. I wrapped up that act as fast as I, I could. My friend left and started the car. I ended the set. And, uh, and at that point, the rest of us decided that we had had enough comedy and we would quit while we were ahead. And very quietly, we paid our tab and got out of there. And, um, but I guess that it does set that precedent so that even for, you know, if you go back to the, to the kid part of it, the family part of it, you go back to the, to the own personal brand or the personal life lessons. It's like, okay, I did the best I could. I was true to myself. I didn't run, which obviously, if we just said, let's get out of here when they called my name, I didn't want to do that. I don't think any of us wanted to do that. I don't think any of us wanted to walk out, you know, have a bunch of people come in with very mixed ethnicities and backgrounds and have them check out the crowd and then leave a, yeah. An I mean, what you did made a stance on who you were, right? So it matters. Yeah. And so, and so that's, that's the kind of stuff that's in the book. I, I call it amuseful, you know, it's like, it's amusing, but it all, but it has a purpose. Mm-hmm. I like it. So how do Thanks. people that are listening to the podcast today find you to have you help them with what they're doing in their lives? Thank you, Jen. Well, the easiest way is to go to get message therapy, get message therapy.com. Uh, my name also Hirsch Repun, but that's a little harder to like hear off the, off the podcast, but Hirsch but get message therapy.com is probably the best way to reach me. They can send a message. They can look at the various things that I do and the people that I work with and sign up for the newsletter and, and be made aware of the book. So, uh, so that's the hub. I like it. Yes. The book we hope comes out next year. You're working on it right now. It's called Selling the yeah. Truth. And yes, yes, you like to help people with humor and humanity and bring their message to the world in an authentic way. Very well said. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today, my friend. Thank you, Jen. It was so much fun being here and, uh, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you.